excited to be here. It's going to be a good day. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be studying Ephesians 4 today. We're going to continue on with our series, Same Difference. This message is kind of burning a hole in my spirit, so I hope you're ready. Hope you're ready to uh, take some notes. Um, hey, Dave, will you pass uh, some Connect cards out for me? If people are wanting, there's some pens, some Connect cards. Um, there's a note section on the back there. We're going to have plenty of scripture today, and we're going to be ex- uh, exploring kind of uh, an interesting portion of scripture that has a tendency maybe um, to, to open us up into some new, uh, new kind of life rhythms today. <clears throat> I'm 34 years old. I'm almost 35. Um, I've been in church my whole life, and uh, I'm I'm I am baptized into church culture. I'm talking when I went to church. It was it was 52 Sunday mornings with Sunday school and worship services. It was 52 Wednesday night services. I mean, I grew up in church, and so when I was 16, um, God became very real to me. It took 16 years uh, for me personally, and, and uh, when I was 16, God became real to me, and uh, I became a Christian, and so I'm officially uh, someone who is now 34 years old. I'm, I've lived longer as a Christian than I have not uh, been a Christian, which is awesome, um, but I've probably acted like I wasn't a Christian more <laughs> than I've acted like a Christian, which is not so awesome. But we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, this passage is going to talk about that. But I have been growing up in church for a long time. And when I think about all, the, all that I've seen in church, I grew up in pretty fundamental Baptist backgrounds. Um, and so lots of choir robes. Lots of, uh, you know, pews and stuff like that. Like, we had the old school pews, and, and, uh, and you better not sit in, in that person's seat. You know, there's a pillow designated for, for sweet old Molly, and you better not sit on her pillow because it's just not going to end well for you. And, um, but I grew up, and so, so over the course of, of time, when I got uh, saved at 16, I was, I was fortunate enough, blessed enough to have two uh, very uh, mature believers disciple me, one through high school and one through college. And, um, and part of that discipleship process for me was uh, not just reading through Scripture, not just praying together, not just you know, being taught how to do those things, but also they were training me in leadership. I was serving in the youth ministry um, of my church there in high school, and then when we went to college, I became a part of a youth ministry there, and and so the youth pastor there started discipling me, and and they started kind of giving me glimpses of how church was being done in different contexts, in different places all over the United States. And so what I have now been paying attention to for probably almost 20 years is different church contexts. And if you were to ask me, so this is just my observation. This isn't necessarily gospel truth. We'll get to the scripture, which we can stand on, but this is just my observation, so take it or leave it. Um, If you were to ask me what I have seen that has been the common thread for the last 30-some-odd years, I could tell you that pretty much the one message that's going out to the world from the church is that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He came and he died, and he wants to uh, give you new life and for you to go to heaven. And that's a pretty good message. That's a pretty good message. Like, if we're going to pick one, it's better than um, you're bad and you're going to hell and there's no hope, right? There's, there's all kinds of things the church could message out there. And so, so this one thing goes out that Jesus is forgiving, he's gracious, and all this kind of stuff. But over my 34 years, what I've also found on the other side of that, 
By the way, this is going to challenge some of your presuppositions. If I can just go ahead and, that's my little fine print disclaimer in there. We're going to dig in a portion of scripture that is going to have to be read exactly as it was meant, okay? Because you can go out of these doors and go dangerous places with this scripture, okay? What I think is possibly true is that if you were to go ask any human, right, probably, uh, maybe hopefully a Christian that you would get a certain answer out of, maybe a full answer, but if you were just to go ask any human what the message of the church is, they would probably say something along the lines of, right, Jesus, forgiveness, salvation. A lot of people would probably say, like, do more good things than bad. That's probably part of the message that you're going to get, which we don't find in Scripture, but that's probably part of the message you're going to get. But I think one of the things that I'm afraid of, as I'm looking, this is just my observation, is that all of our um, bringing people in to the fold, bringing people in, inviting people to church, inviting people to salvation in Jesus, we kind of leave them as soon as they get to become a Christian, and there's no kind of follow-up after with the discipleship. And so the message then becomes, and again, if you ask any human uh, what they think about, not just Jesus or the gospel, but if you ask them what they think about Christians then, what are they going to say? Just ask, go, go down the short north and ask, like, hey, just first thing that pops in your mind when you think of a Christian, what are they going to say? Maybe judgmental. Maybe self-righteous. Maybe stuff like this. Because I think maybe, again, observations, not gospel truth, I think maybe that there's been some mixed messages from the church in the whole, like, is the Bible full of do this and don't do that? Or is Christianity about Jesus is just, come on, man, just come on. There's grace at the foot of the cross and just forgiveness. And I don't care where you've been and what you've done. Just come on with it, you know. But we have somehow maybe missed in the conversations that I've had the opportunity to show people where Christian do this and don't do that. The guideline for Christianity, God's truth, because the truth is, Jesus does invite us to come. We have been studying in Ephesians for, for the first through the third chapter, and we've seen all kinds of, yeah, come, you are forgiven, you're blessed. Like, if you want to become a Christian, it is on the basis of Jesus' work, because you were dead, he made you alive, like, that's his work. But then Ephesians 4 stops, or starts with this verse in chapter Four, verse 1, I need you to walk in a manner worthy of that which you were called. And we're going to get into all kinds of, hey, don't be sexually immoral. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, bro, I thought it was all about like Jesus wants you to come to the cross. And it is. Right? And so now we're starting to get into kind of muddy territory. Man, you shouldn't use those words. Well, I thought, man, I, I'm just all about Jesus and his forgiveness. I'm not all about your self-righteous and judgmental, whatever. There's a rub between this kind of like Jesus that wants you to come on the basis of his work and not yours. On the, like, no one in this church, I, I pray, would say you need to clean up before you come to Jesus. But there's a work that Jesus wants to do inside of you and the Holy Spirit inside of you once you come to Jesus. And it's not, listen, it's not like a, uh, listen, now that, now that we got the bait and switch going, uh, we're going to need to go ahead and get you cleaned up. 
Uh, that's not appropriate, that's not appropriate, that's not appropriate. We're going to need you to fix that before you come to church next time because what you don't know is that we all get the rules, and you don't get the rules, so maybe you should get the rules before you come into this place, which is where we lose people. And what we've done is we've taken our standards that we have seen in Scripture that, listen, come from God, that are rightfully placed on us, that we willingly submit our lives to. And some of us, maybe, unfortunately, have, have gone out into the world with that before anyone has experienced Jesus, and we said, hey, listen, that's not appropriate. Why? Because the Bible says it. And you're talking, and you're like, bro, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't read the Bible. I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. And so we have to be super, super careful. We gotta, so we got to remember, and this is why I love this portion of Scripture, because Paul is going to start looping in stuff that he's already said in this. So in this whole letter, right, and we put chapters and verses in. That's not something Paul did. So we are going to find elements from chapter 2. We're going to find elements from early, earlier in chapter 4, and he's going to start looping them together into a fuller message. So he starts the chapter off, well, the chapter, we made it a chapter, by saying walk in a manner worthy of that which you've been called, and he's going to continue. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go to 24, but we're just going to read the first couple verses here in just a moment. He's going to say this word walk again. You're going to see this word walk. When you see these words pop up over and over and over, by the way, you're going to see it a lot in chapter 5, so please zoom in on this word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Then verse 19 would continue on. Uh, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, um, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So it's interesting that if you're reading this, if you're just, if you're just reading this, this um, sounds like the preacher pounding on the pulpit, where in Ephesians 1, it sounded like that, man, come to Jesus, everything, man, he wants to bless you, he wants to forgive you, he wants to accept you, he wants to make you whole, make you alive, and all that kind of stuff. Are these two different messages? Or are they one true message that the, that the God of the universe wants to get us a picture of? Remember what we said, first First through the third chapters, it's all about our identity in Christ. We're supposed to learn something. We're supposed to know something. And Ephesians 4 through 6, we're starting to learn how to walk this thing out. And, and, this is what's blowing my mind. Can we go to verse 17 and 18 again real quick? It's interesting that Paul would say, don't walk like the Gentiles do. Now remember what he talked about the Gentiles in the second and the third chapter. What did he say? They're fellow heirs. So we have to be careful about reading the gospel in such a way. This is why we don't pick, by the way. This is why I love the fact that we're studying chunks of Scripture together because if you've been with us, you've known that what Paul has to say about the Gentiles is, listen, everybody can come to the table if they come on the basis that Jesus is Lord and we surrender ourselves to his lordship. But here he says, don't walk like the Gentiles do. What is he saying? He's talking about, remember, we got to be careful about our categories. We can't, we can't be talking about church people and non-church people. There are people that have been rescued by Jesus and then people who have 
Remember, my, my phrase that I'm choosing is not yet been rescued because we're believing that Jesus wants to rescue them and that he's in process, he's on mission for the people, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, people in our neighborhood, that Jesus wants to do that. But he hasn't rescued them yet, possibly. The people that you know, I'm surrounded by people that don't know Jesus yet. And so what he's saying is that there's people that don't know Jesus yet. You cannot walk as they do. Listen, if you've been rescued, forgiven, accepted, blessed, adopted, you cannot walk this life out like they do. Why? Because because their futility, uh, because of the futility of their minds, futile. That word means depraved. It means absent of truth. It means uh, devoid of of life. It, it is it is empty. Remember Ephesians two one says, "You were dead in your trespasses and sins." Bingo. That's what's happening there. How else does he describe? They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated, right? Separated from the life of God. Why? Why? Because God doesn't love them. Because God's punishing them. No, because of the ignorance that's in them. It's not that God is, 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 is anti these people coming to him. It's because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, this is the thing. I, I just need to pause and, and have a little commercial for evangelism. Okay? Because I pro- I'm trying so hard to make this message about me. Like, I need to receive this personally. And listen, you need to receive this person. And sometimes as church people, what we do is we pull our mirrors out and we start to shine that sunbeam on somebody else. Like, they need to hear this and they need to hear this. And, you know, like, I'm good. Don't worry about me. But, like, everybody else needs to, you ought to learn this and you ought to, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm trying so hard to make sure that this is about what we need to learn from the scriptures today. But the truth is, is if you look at verse 17 and 18, they're callous. They're darkened. They're at, they're, listen, they're, they're spiritually dead. I have more friends in this city that are not Christians than are Christians. And what the gospel says about them, what God says about them, is that they're, they're darkened in their understanding. And that they're, there's, there's, they're dead spiritually. And listen, that doesn't play well at a party. Hey, friend, just wanted to talk about the darkness in your heart. Can we address that today? Talk about your eternal destination right now. It's hell. I'd like to make that heaven. Can we talk after this, this party? No. Dead people are not scratching and clawing to get inside the body of Christ. Listen, that's, the, that's a dream and the hope that I have for this church. And, and sometimes I think sometimes we, we look at the win as, and listen, I, oh gosh, I'm going to out some of my friends from other parts of the country. Whenever people ask how the church is doing, do you know what they ask? Do you know what they want to know? How many you run in? Because that is the single mark of health in a church. And I want to tell you, that's not why we came to plant this church. Listen, I pray that people all over this city come to Christ. I pray that this is busting at the seams. But without people guiding other people to experience life in Jesus Christ, which is our mission, we are guiding people to experience life in Jesus Christ. We are a hospital that is seeing dead people rotate in and out. We ought to be people who are activating our faith because Jesus doesn't stop at salvation or else he would have taken us to heaven Immediately. He is calling us people to be able to decide. I think that's why God is giving us this incubation period. If I can just talk in real terms right now. I believe that if God wants us to reach another 100 people in the next 12 months, that he's allowing us to have time to learn how to be disciple makers, how to be guiders, how to be 
people who care, people who see someone walk through the doors and actually like actually want to learn more. Someone that someone uh, that when someone calls you and says, "Hey, I need you to pray for me," they don't say, "I'll pray for you." Click and go on with their life, forgetting that someone just actually reached out. No one is scratching and clawing to get inside the body of Christ. And I believe God is on a mission, and I believe all this other stuff that we're concerned about, listen, lots of good stuff to be concerned about in this world. And the one thing that matters most is people are on the heart of God. And I believe that he is asking us to get involved with his mission. And they are calloused and hardened of heart. Let me go back to what I said about being a 16-year-old. I had many pastors, many church members, family members, and friends. Pull me aside. Pull a chair up. Look at me dead in the eyes. I remember there was one pastor that did it almost every Sunday after church. And he would say, what is holding you back from making a decision to follow Christ? As a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. If I can just be real with you all, I was like, I don't know, but I, I don't get it. I don't think hell sounds fun. And I think that's where I'm going right now. And I still don't know if I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. That's where I was for so long. And listen, that's an awkward conversation. I have to articulate that as an elementary school child to a pastor. Like, I, don't, I, I know I should want to become a Christian, but, I, but I, it's not there yet. I don't know. And when I was 16 years old, I can't explain it, but the Lord became real to me. And when I experienced real problems in this life, what happened is I was in my bedroom. Remember, 52 Sundays, 52 Wednesdays, for years and years and years, I'm in my bedroom having known all of Scripture, in and out. I, I am ingrained with it. I know. So when I am walking through spiritual problems in my own life, I'm just calling out to God, and I say this. God, if you're out there, I'm, I'm listen, I would like to have a conversation with you. And I know that that's weird because I can't necessarily see or hear you, but I would like to have a conversation. I would like you to answer my prayer request. I would like to reach out. And that day, I believe God reached back out. I believe that he answered my prayers, and that week I began to have an over and over throughout the day conversation with a God that I cannot see or hear, but I learn about here, and then I sense his presence in my life. Not in church. I mean, yes, in church, but at home and at school and in the neighborhood. And God became real to me, and I can't explain it. I'm thankful for those men that pulled up a chair and asked me. I'm thankful for the family members and the friends because the truth is, is that I, I was calloused. I had, no, I had no desire to become a member of the body of Christ. But when God saved me and opened up my eyes and gave me life inside of my heart, my heart was then beating for Jesus Christ who had saved me and was on a mission to save my friends. I reversed my direction, and then I started to learn a little bit about what it looks like to follow him. So, when Paul says, hey, Christians, I just want you to know that God, who is the creator of the universe, the master of everything, he's the Messiah, he's the one who came and across the universe, who spanned east to west to save you, he has a way that he wants you to live. Because your own way, your own path, it's destructive. It's, you're hurting yourself. I know it feels good. I know it feels right for a season, but you know that it leaves you empty. I'm, I'm asking you to be filled. 
I'm not just trying to give you rules to follow so that you can all of a sudden become kind of high in your own mind, like, I follow these rules really well. We go there sometimes, but the truth is that God is calling us to live in this path. Why? Because he's given us new life. So he says, 17 and 19, you're, you're, if, you're, if you walk as the Gentiles do, you're doing it. They're devoid of truth. They're, they're futile. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated of God because of their ignorance due to their hardness of heart. Of, cor- of course. Of course. And listen, this is hard. Like, this is, this is not um, the, listen, man, come on, because Jesus is, I know this doesn't play well. This, does, this doesn't hit us in our, like, I just want to be forgiven. This is like, the Christians, we ought to be about what Jesus is calling us to. And then he's going to say this in verse 20. Because that is not the way that you learn Christ. This, for me, takes me back to my 16-year-old moment. Like, we can, we can make church, we can make God about all kinds of things in our own mind. But the truth is, is that Christ is, is real. He's 100%, and he is not molding to our image of him. Rather, we were created in his image and is calling us to live as citizens of his kingdom with his guidelines. And they're important. And they're important. Not just because, listen, I could, I could stand up here and be, well, if you do this, it'll, you'll be healthy and you'll be smarter and you'll be stronger. No, I mean, I, I think it's important for us to know, like, he's the king. And he commands it. And that's enough. That's enough for us. So he's going to say, you, that's not the way you learn Christ. In Ephesians 4.20. And, and listen, I, I learned about Christ. Until I was 16. I learned about him. There was no draw inside of my soul for whatever reason to turn to him. I, um, I'm a baseball fan. I became a Red Sox fan in 2002. And uh, much to the chagrin of my wife, who's an Indians fan through and through. I should let you know that I'm tempted to change my allegiance to the Indians. But I can't do it right now because they're really good. And I look like a bandwagoner. So, I'm a Red Sox fan, and, and in 2004, the Red Sox did something that was amazing. And I can tell you all the story through and through, because what they did was, like, uh, something teams don't really do. They, they, be, they got into the postseason, and they played the Yankees. And they, if, if you've never seen a Red Sox-Yankees game, it's kind of like Ohio State-Michigan. We, we wrap our lives around the Ohio State. Like, you don't schedule something on Ohio State-Michigan Day, except for just eating and watching football, right? And uh, the, Ohio, the, the Red Sox-Yankees games are fun to watch. In fact, I started watching them because I hated the Yankees and they would fight all the time. I was like, I can get down with this team because they don't like the Yankees either. And I hate the Yankees, so I think I'm a Red Sox fan. So in 2004, they had this amazing series where the Red Sox, in a series of seven, lost three games in a row. And in order for them to get to the next stage, uh, get, to get the, to get to play in the World Series, they had to win four games in a row. All the Yankees had to do was win one more game. And, and they scratched and clawed back from 0-3. They won game four. But you know what? The Yankees are just like, we just got to win one. We got win one out of three. That's it. We're the Yankees, man. You know, we're deep. Like, we can play. And they, 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 for the next three games, the Red Sox, it's like they were playing in extra innings. Ever. It was the best sports moments I've watched with my own eyes. Like, I can't tell you, it, you 
got to go watch some of the clips on YouTube of what was happening. Um, but it was extra, and it, sometimes it was 12, 12 innings long. It was 14 innings long. They were playing the next night with all the same pitchers that they had just played. Like, it was an amazing series. And the Red Sox scratched and clawed back to 2004 World Series champs, which is amazing because they hadn't won the World Series since 1918. It was a long drought. And I want to tell you, I could tell you all kinds of stuff about the 2004 Red Sox. And you know what? I don't know them. I wasn't on the team. Although I will say, we won today. Anyone else do that? Like, yeah, we won today. The Buckeyes beat Michigan like they should. And we say, well, we won today. We didn't play well. What do you mean we? You were on your couch. These guys work out, right, two-a-days. And you were eating nachos. Like, what's what's this we? And, uh, and I could tell you all about the Red Sox. I could, tell you the, the, I could tell you the lineup. I could tell you that David Ortiz was like my hero that year. And listen, if David Ortiz walks up to me, he's going to say, who? He doesn't know me, and I don't know him. Obviously, this letter is written to people who know Christ, not know about him. And listen, this letter to us today in 2018 is calling out to you, and God is calling out to you. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is calling out to you. If you are surrendered to Jesus, that's not the way you learned Christ, to become a Christian and then just to walk your own path. In fact, I think those of us who think that we can come to Christ, get all of the benefits, and then walk our own path, we have missed the point entirely. In fact, I tried it when I was about 10. I didn't want to go to hell. I raised my hand in a church service. I didn't really know what I was doing, but in my mind, I was making a decision that would take me to heaven when I died. That's what I did. And everyone was excited for me, and I was just like, yeah. I mean, I hear hell's bad, so I think we should probably be excited, but I don't really feel anything. And I went on living my life as if nothing had changed. Why? Because nothing had changed. What is Paul going to say? After this, you have not learned Christ that way. Verse 21 to 24 is where we're going to pick it up. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Golly, if we could just cling to that verse, the truth is in Jesus. That is the problem. That's the rub with your friends that don't know Jesus, right? Because they would say, not true. And we would say, absolutely true. I believe that Jesus created truth, like he's the source of truth, like he created the world, he created all this, God the Father created all of this stuff, we believe the truth is in Jesus. If that's the way you learned him, then you ought to know that you should put off your old self, which belongs to your, check it out, former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Moving on into verse 23, you should be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You should put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This, uh, this message sometimes gets preached to people who don't know Jesus yet. And that's, that's out of order. That's out of order. Now, do we need to know when we're coming to Christ, should we count the cost? Absolutely. We should count the cost. This is full sacrifice. Yes, it's a free gift, but it costs God, his son, this is a great value that we've put on salvation and that we are coming to Jesus. We have got to get our message right internally before we ever take it externally. We've got to get our message right about what salvation is. And what salvation is, is God rescuing us 
from our dead state so that we could be alive to him, right? And alive to him doesn't mean go out and do whatever you want, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we go to heaven. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is us becoming alive to him. This is about our nature as a spiritually dead person versus our nature as a spiritually alive person. And I want you to know, if you're taking notes, they are citizens of different kingdoms. They are different people. And I don't mean different like, because it's so hard for us to look in the mirror and be like, I look the same. I look exactly, I, I sometimes act the same. I got baptized. It was fun. It was exciting. It was energetic. But I don't know that I feel any different. I, don't, I certainly don't look any different. And I've heard stories of people say, when I got saved, God didn't take away necessarily all of my addictions or all of my desires for sinful things. I've heard people in this body say, when I got saved, there was some automatic changing. And listen, I don't know how God works in all kinds of different people, but what I do know is the truth is, and we're going to look in some other portions of Scripture, is that God takes you from old to new, from dead to alive, from, from futile in your mind to darkened to being light and salt, right? So, so I, want to, I want to show you a couple of verses. This is where you should, you should take some notes. Um, in, um, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, these are verses all over where Paul has written about uh, our new nature. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, is going to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, remember, what was Ephesians 1 through 3 all about? We talk about in Christ alone. If we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're different. Different. By nature, we are of a new and living nature with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the Holy Spirit guiding and convicting us to live new lives. The next verse. What did I write? Romans 6, 6 through 7. We know that our old self was what? Crucified with him. <laughs> Put to death in order that the body of sin might be brought to, check it out, nothing. Brought to nothing. Do you feel like the body of sin that you have maybe given yourself over to or are walking away from is brought to nothing. And listen, we are a church who desperately wants people to know Jesus. And I desperately want you to know that if you are not perfect today, welcome to the club. But what we're not doing is celebrating a life of sin after we have come to Christ. Okay? There's a, are you starting to see, like, there's the fine print is starting to make some sense here. Like, this is a tough one because you got to put it right where it belongs. You can't go home and talk to your family member who is living their own life apart from Christ and say, do you know what I learned in church today? You ought to be good. You ought to behave. You ought to listen to me, all this kind of stuff. And the truth is, what we want to do is show people that we are uh, we can be rescued from our spiritually dead state and be given new life in Christ. And that's a free gift. But it costs Jesus everything. That's the message. 
this body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that, why? Purpose statement, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Enslaved, given over, addicted, can't walk away from it. That ought not to describe Christians. The last verse I want to show you, Colossians 3, 9 through, 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Check that out. You'll find in other passages in Romans 12 where we're supposed to be renewed, right, in our minds. That's how we're transformed from one thing to another. Metanoia, we are old creations made into new creations, and Jesus is doing something in real time when we allow ourselves to be molded by our creator into a new creation day after day. And he's going to say it over and over. Renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The, the, the back half of Ephesians 4, verses 23, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's all over the New Testament. We can no longer be people who just call ourselves Christians and walk it out as if it, nothing changed. This is like if I were to walk around with my wedding ring and just, and just go pick up just different women and just say, I mean, got my, I am married, but I can do whatever I want. Like, no marriage could ever walk through that. You know what I mean? I can go home and I can do what I want. Yeah, I'm married, but I'm still me. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Right. She ain't having it. <laughs> and no one, no, that wouldn't make sense to anyone. I am pursuing a, a, a righteous marriage, a full of hope, full of love, full of romance, but, but I'm going to go over here and do this thing too. And what God is saying is that I'm calling you as the bride of Christ to be whole, like faithful to me, holy. Like, do you want me or do you want my stuff? That's what God is asking today. If you want heaven, then pardon me if I'm stepping on some toes today, but if you came to Christ so you could have heaven, i I don't believe that you're a Christian because that is not what Christianity is. Heaven and hell. Which do you want the flames or do you want the crowns? Like, duh, like mommy and daddy over here happy in this smiley picture of heaven, mansions and crowns. And then there's all this like fire and, and torment and all this. I think I'll pick this. That's the decision I made when I was 10 and nothing changed inside of me. Why? Because I wasn't interested in Jesus. I was interested in his stuff. And what, what this is saying is, listen, if you're a new creation, it's just practical. Be faithful to Jesus. And listen, I know that you're not going to get this right all the time. I don't get this right all the time. So, there's something I want you to know, and there's something I want you to do. couple things I wrote down about what to know. We have to remember that the genesis of our relationship with God is formed on the foundation of Jesus' sacrifice for us, not our work, lest we should boast. Right? This is something Jesus did for us. We don't call people, this is the dangerous one, if you can just 
listen with me and test this against scripture. We don't call people to our moral standard if they have not accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. Why? Because you're out of order on the steps. Because, because the moral standard means nothing without Jesus. There's gonna be a lot of church people separated from God for eternity. That's scary. Because church people aren't necessarily forgiven, accepted, blessed, accepted. Forgiven people are. People that have submitted their life. That's why I believe when Jesus says there's a, there's a narrow road and there's a wide one. The narrow one leads to life. The wide one, which is like an interstate full of people, it's headed to destruction. I think Jesus knew. I think Jesus knows that not a lot of people are after him. I want to tell you, if you get married and you're not after just pursuing the heart of your spouse, again, good luck. If you become a Christian, if you accept, if you walk in aisle, walking in aisle means nothing, right? Baptism means, though there's nothing special. It's not like holy oil that you're baptized in. It's a decision to choose Christ. That's why I've heard different commentators talk about the people that, who end up in heaven are not there because there was like some magic whatever. The perseverance of the saints is proven by people who wake up and say, yep, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus today. I don't choose me. I'm sacrificing myself because that old me that's dead, it's dead. So I choose Jesus today. So you have to know, something to know is that we are in partnership. So here's the good news. The good news is not that it's all on you to become this perfect Christian. You understand that? You, weren't, you were given the Holy Spirit for a purpose. If God wanted to save you and take you to heaven, he would have done that. If God wanted to save you and then leave it up to you to become perfect, he would have never given you the Holy Spirit. But he gave you the Holy Spirit. Here's where a good amen would fit in because he is empowering us to look more like his son, to become a new creation. That's the good news. It's not up to you personally. But you can by no means, just without any effort, leave it up to the Holy Spirit. Because that doesn't make any sense to any one of us, does it? And listen, it, it, some, it sometimes sounds good. It tickles our ears a little bit. Like, you know, Jesus, Jesus did the work. You know, he did the work of salvation. He's the author of the perfecter of salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit is doing that work in us. But there's all kinds of places in the New Testament where it says we are currently being saved. In addition to this, like, we are saved. We're, 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 we're going to heaven one day, but there's also this day by day. Listen, I don't get it right. And, and I'm constantly asking God to, to fill me with his love so that I can walk this out to, to be empowered. So I take the next step in my, my faith journey because the Holy Spirit is giving me the power to, but it doesn't mean that I don't exude any effort at all. It is up to you. So that's what maybe the rub is for some of us is we, we tap out because we've been We've been wanting the Holy Spirit to do all the work. And, and he does a lot of the work. He does the work. He empowers you. But you've got to, like, walk with him in that. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Don't walk like the Gentiles do, futile in their minds. Now, what we've what we got to be careful of is our message, right? 
because all this matters to all of us. If you're a believer in here, hopefully this is doing some molding. But if you're, but if you're a believer in here and you take it out and you're like, yep, I got to do this, 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 and this because I'm a Christian. What people hear is, oh, your Christianity is all about doing this, 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 and this. We've got to be careful about when we talk to people about our faith. Yes, it is on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice for us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Yes, I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm still here to be molded into the shape of his son. And I'm here to disciple people, to, to share the message, to baptize and teach and all these things that the New Testament commands through the Holy Spirit. The something to do is that this one's on you too. It's not completely up to you. You're not left alone. When we sing that song here in the presence, I mean, it's not, you're not here, you're not here in the presence because you're in church. You're here in the presence because the Spirit is walking with you, and I believe He's inhabiting your praise, and you're, you're giving yourself over to Him. And you can do that on Monday on the way to work when you're not super excited about the meeting you're going to have. You can do that when you're in an argument with your spouse. You can do that. You can be in the presence of the Lord, giving yourself over to him. And I believe that's, that's part of what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is calling us to do. Listen, this message is, is, is tough because this is like the, the, the stuff that a lot of people have been running away from. But discipleship includes a large portion of, hey, we've been saved. We're new creations. We don't walk like the old ones. You know, we're, we're, we're built on new equipment. We're built on new fuel. You're built on new purpose. You know, the, the whole definition of futility is like depraved, lack of truth, lack of purpose. You are infused with purpose as a glory-giving, image-bearing Christ follower. So we've got to walk that out. Let's bow our heads for just a moment.